Well, church family, we are continuing this morning in our study through the book of 1 Timothy, and so I want to give you an opportunity to get yourselves there and ready this morning as we enter into chapter 2. As you turn there, there's this story that's been told over the years about Albert Einstein. Are we all, are we all good with Albert Einstein? We know historically who that was, okay? A great scientist, mathematician. There's this interesting anecdote of something that happened one time. He was doing a Q&A with some of his uh, students at the time, and one of them asked him this question. He said, Dr. Einstein, how many feet are there in a mile? And I don't know if he was trying to stump them or whatever, just trying to be silly, but he said, how many feet are in a mile? Einstein, to the utter astonishment of the student, responded, I don't know. I don't know. And the student thought, you're Einstein. Like, how could you not know how many feet are in a mile? And then here's how he responded. This is really interesting. He said, I make it a rule not to clutter my mind with simple information that I can find in a book in five minutes. Now, if he lived today, I think he would say, don't clutter my mind with simple information that you can Google within, you know, uh, 30 seconds. But what's he doing there? What's Einstein talking about? He sees that his mind is of something of great value, and so he prioritizes what he puts into it. How much he studies and what it is that he actually studies, and menial things, at least menial to Einstein, he puts to the side. But Einstein isn't the only person that that does this. We all do it. We set priorities. We evaluate our resources. We put values upon things in our lives. And today in our text in 1 Timothy, Paul's going to do that for the church. He's going to start to make a list of priorities for the people of God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Really, all of chapter 2 and onward is connected, but you've got to find some natural breaks. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, and here we go. Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So we come to chapter 2 this morning, and we see in the very first verse that this chapter is a turning point for the rest of the book. In chapter 1, Paul was speaking to Timothy as a leader in the church and encouraging and exhorting him to be on guard against false teaching, to equip the church to be able to combat false teaching coming into the church. Doctrine being a very important thing for the people of God. And then though when you come to chapter 2, Paul says, now in following up to that, I want to now present to you a set of priorities 
for the people of God. Not just for you, Timothy, but for the household of God. And many of these priorities are what are to take place in the context of even corporate worship. This is identified for us in the very first verse. Look at what he says. First of all, then, I urge. What we see Paul doing here is he's saying, first of all, here's the first among many things that the people of God, the household of God, should ultimately be engaged in. Now, when I read that, and I read the rest of the chapter that comes, I love when God speaks in his word so similar to how we speak. Tell me that we don't do this ourselves. Tell me that we don't speak in this way or process in this way where we set priorities in our lives. Yesterday uh, was a yard day in the Wajniki household, and so my girls were outside. I had done some, some work the, uh, on Friday, and then I, I was walking outside with them, and I said, okay, girls, here are the things that I need you to do, and here's the order in which you need to do these things. Have you ever done that for your kids, right? Have you ever set priorities of, of things to do? If you haven't done that, your child's probably a rebel. Anyways, but no, uh, like we have structure, right? It's a, it's a way of, of thinking. You do that in work all the time. You lay out for somebody or for yourself, I need, I need these things. These things are of priority. I'm going to do this and not do this today. And Paul is coming in this verse and he's saying, this is what we do within the life of the church. We set priorities. And the first and the top priority for the people of God that, that we need to be serious about is this. Look at verse 1 again. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Later on in verse 8, he's going to say it this way. I desire then that in every place the men and the women, because we're going to see he's going to connect the two, should pray, lifting up holy hands without quarreling, without anger. Paul says a first priority for the people of God, the charge that I am giving to the church is this, as God's people, be a praying people. The people of God, the household of God, is to be a household of prayer. It's a first priority, Paul says. I'm urging you that as a church, you need to be engaged in prayer. Now, this kind of a charge, this kind of a very clear calling upon the church should cause us to pause. In fact, that's what we're going to do today. Next week, we are going to walk kind of exegetically through this text as a whole. But before we do that, there are times in the book of 1 Timothy where Paul is going to raise up a topic or he's going to talk about a theological issue. And that issue is of such significance and of such importance that before we move through the text, we're going to need to be clear and we're going to need to make sure that we have a solid theological foundation of what it is that he's talking about. And prayer is one of those things. This is a topic that while many of us can be familiar with it or have a concept of it, we cannot move into this and move into the rest of what the text says this morning until we are clear as a church, first and foremost, on what prayer is. You know, Christianity is not the only religion that calls upon its people to pray. All the major religions of the world have prayer as a component 
of their religion. Did you know that? Muslims pray, Jews pray, Buddhists pray, Hindus pray, Christians are called to prayer. So Paul comes in our text this morning and says, I urge you to pray that God's people are a praying people. But are we really clear on what it means to be a people who are engaged in prayer? Do we really know what prayer is? When Paul calls the Christian to pray, when God calls the Christian to pray, is he talking about the same thing as a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Jew? Well, let me give you the short answer first, and that answer is no. The prayer of the Christian, the prayer of the follower of Jesus Christ, the activity of prayer is vastly different than all the other religions of the world. While there might be components of it that seem familiar or seem similar, what we're going to see today is that prayer for the Christian is a truly unique, majestic, and beautiful thing. And when we understand the heart of it, then we begin to understand why it has such significance, why it's placed in such high regard for the people of God. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of pull back and we're going to look at what the scriptures have to say on the whole about prayer. And then next week, we're going to dive in to the very context and these seven verses. But I want to begin this morning with this, the nature of prayer. If we're really to understand prayer, we have to be clear on the nature of prayer. What truly is prayer and prayer for the people of God? You know, there's no written definition in the scriptures that say this is what prayer is. You're not going to be able to turn to a verse and says, here is prayer articulately defined. There is, however, numerous passages. And when I say numerous, numerous passages where people are described as praying or engaging in prayer. Jesus Christ himself was asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us how to what? Pray. And so we have the Lord's Prayer, and we'll look at a little bit of that in just a moment. But while there's not a definition of prayer within the Scriptures that's clearly spelled out, when we look at people who are engaged in prayer, here's what I believe we can say as the nature of prayer. At its most very basic and fundamental level, prayer is communicating with God. When you look at all the descriptions of people praying and engaged in prayer— we see that they are communicating with God. And I use the word communicating and not speaking to or talking to. I use the word communicating because, listen, I can be talking to someone, but it doesn't mean that they're listening. I can be talking to someone, but it doesn't mean that they're engaged with me or that I'm anticipating a response. When you look at prayer in the scriptures, it's not a monologue. It's not a one-way street. Over and over again, prayer in the scriptures is described for us as this engagement with God in communication. There is this understanding that as we talk to God, he is listening to us, and we can anticipate a response from him. It's a communication, not just simply a monologue. 1 John 5.13 says this, when talking about followers of Jesus Christ and this aspect of prayer. I love what John says. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. By the way, there's this qualifier there. He's write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So those of you who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Verse 14. 
And this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. For the people of God, for followers of Jesus Christ, John is saying, look at this. Look at how prayer is this engagement with God. When you go old school, when you go all the way into the Old Testament, you see the example in Genesis 24 of the servant of Abraham praying for a wife for Isaac. The guy's been given a task to find Isaac a wife. And he goes and he pleads with God. He prays with God to help him find a wife for Isaac. And God listens and responds and shows him the wife that God has intended for him. The book of Job, a man who suffers greatly. In his suffering, he talks to God. He communicates with God. And God doesn't just simply sit there and listen. He engages with him. He actually speaks back to Job. As Job pours out his heart, he knows that God is listening. There's a beautiful prayer of Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. She's asking for a child, and the Lord hears in response to it. Jesus, over and over again, he goes away during his earthly ministry to do what? To communicate with his father, to pray to him. And then sometimes he does it publicly, right before he feeds the 5,000. He lifts up the bread and he prays to God that God would be glorified in what's about to take place, and 5,000 are fed. Paul, who wrote this letter, <clears throat> at one point in his ministry, he says, I had this thorn in my flesh. We don't know what it was. But he says, I asked God three times to take it from me. And God says, I'm not going to take it from you. But instead, he says, my grace is what? Sufficient. Sufficient for you. Prayer is communicating with God. It's knowing that he's listening and knowing that he will respond. Listen, God always responds to our prayers. Did you know that? He doesn't just always listen. He always responds. But sometimes that response is yes. Sometimes that response is no. And sometimes that response is, wait. It's a little bit longer. But he always responds. When Jesus was teaching us to pray in Matthew 6, before he gets to the Lord's Prayer, he says this in verse 6. He says, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, when you go to pray and you go in your closet, know that your Father in heaven, he sees you. He's listening and he will have a response. Friends, this is what distinguishes the prayer of a follower of Jesus Christ, of a Christian, from the prayer of a Hindu, of a Buddhist, of a Jew, or of a Muslim. Some of those religions, they say that ultimately God is there and he's listening, but, but there's a difference here in us. We know that our God who we pray to is our Father and that he is engaged with us as we communicate with him and that he will respond as he sees fit because he loves and he cares for us. Prayer is communicating with God. I don't think that should, that's not revolutionary, is it? Like everybody's kind of clear, maybe that's been your concept of what prayer is. I, I hope if you've been around our church that you know that, because I've said things similar to this over time. Now, while that might be the nature of prayer, I don't find that it really stirs my heart necessarily just as a statement that says, all right, let's, let's get this. Let's, let's engage in, in prayer. It's a definition of prayer, but it's not the fullness of what prayer is. It's like me coming to you and saying, okay, you want to know what the Grand Canyon is? The Grand Canyon is a mile deep gorge in northern Arizona. Now, that statement on the face of it is a true statement, right? That's the facts. 
By the way, that, right when I said that statement was when the earthquake hit uh, last in the, in the first service. So I was just kind of waiting there for a moment, just wanted to see. <laughs> so it's a mile deep gorge. Now, that describes what it is. It's a definition for the Grand Canyon, but it fails to capture the beauty and the majesty of what the Grand Canyon is. You're probably not going to be stirred necessarily to go to the Grand Canyon just based upon that definition. So too, we might not be stirred to prayer knowing that it's just simply communicating with God. And so here's now where I want to come and I want to talk to us about the privilege of prayer. It's one thing to know what prayer is, communicating with God. It's another thing to really embrace the privilege of prayer, to understand the beauty and the majesty of what prayer actually is. You know what a privilege is, right? A privilege is the ability to have an access or a right that another person might not have. This was on display for me not too long ago. I was traveling with some people who remain nameless from my family. Uh, and, and they, for a living, they travel a lot. And so I do not. And because they travel a lot, as we get to the airport, the difference in privilege was made abundantly clear to me. Because when we came up to the security line, there was one line for me and all the Hoya Ploy, right, over here. And then they got this express line. I think the guy had, like, espresso for him, And they just, like, walked the line. Here, let me help you through security, right? They go through security. We get on the other side of security where they've been waiting for me for, like, 10 minutes. And then they have access to the airplane lounges, right? You know, the airline lounges and stuff where there's free food and stuff. And, like, they can go in. But I'm like, not me. I can't go in there, right? They have these privileges. And then when the plane comes to board, right, they get to board first and get all comfy and cozy. And because they fly more than I do, they have the privilege of being bumped up into first class while I sit back and coach. And then they get up and go to the bathroom and hand me snacks from first class, right? Like that's, like, these are like privileges that I don't have, yet they have. They have these access and rights. And all the while I'm just like, you know, crying over on the side. Think about prayer and think about now the privilege of it. I want you to go back with me, back up the truck a minute, and consider the statement that prayer, which we're called to do, is communicating with God. See, we can blow past that statement. Prayer is communicating with God and fail to see the beauty and the majesty of it. Do you know how the God of which we are allowed to communicate with is described? 1 Chronicles 29.11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. This is the God that we can communicate with. Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Psalm 95, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea it's his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. This is God. And we are being told in the scriptures that you can come and talk with him 
and know that this God is actually listening to you. The one who Colossians says literally holds all things together. Every atom is held together by God in his power. You and I have access to him. It is no small thing to say that prayer is communicating with God when you know who this God is. Paul will say at the end of 1 Timothy, and this won't be the last time that we look at this verse, in 6.15 he says, He who is blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Church family, when we step back and we actually take in for a moment that when we talk about prayers communicating with God, we're talking about being able to speak to the maker of heaven and earth the one with all the power, the one with all the might, the one who shook the earth a few moments ago. Listen, we do not naturally have the right, nor do we deserve to be able to communicate with him. And yet the scriptures say that we who are unrighteous, we who are unrighteous can actually come to him because of, as we see in our text this morning, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You and I are welcomed in to a familial relationship with the maker of heaven and earth one that is so intimate that we are called sons and daughters. The author of Hebrews says that he has made a way for us to approach the throne of grace. Paul would write to the Ephesian church in a different letter. He would say that we have access in one spirit to the Father through Jesus Christ. Here's the privilege of prayer, church. The privilege of prayer is this, communicating with God as one with whom you have an intimate relationship. This is the privilege of prayer. You and I have the King of kings and Lord of lords on one hand, but he is also our Father, and he invites us to come into his presence and talk to him. This is the privilege of prayer. It's one thing to say that the Grand Canyon is a mile deep gorge in northern Arizona. It's another thing to stand there and to look at that mile deep gorge and stand amazed. This privilege of prayer, communicating with God as one with whom we have an intimate relationship, this is like standing before the Grand Canyon. Don't just look at prayer as I'm communicating with God. No, you're communicating with the God of the universe, but he loves you and you are connected to him more tightly than any other relationship on earth. That's as tightly as you are connected to this great God. You have that access and that privilege to come into his throne room because as Paul would say, we cry out to him as Abba Father. Just sit in that for a minute. As the people of God, sit in that and think. When I think about being called to pray, do I think, oh, geez. Or do I think, no. I am being invited in by God to speak with him at any time and at, and at any place because we are in, listen, you have 
intimate relationships here on earth. But your relationship with the God of heaven and earth is vastly more intimate than any other friendship, any other relationship that you will ever experience here on earth. It doesn't always feel like that, but that's not on God, that's on us. Because God is as ever close and is ever pouring out his love on you at any given moment as the person with whom you are closest with in this world. And yet the person that you're closest with in this world, (laughs) they don't have the power, they don't have the ability, they don't have the means to do what your God can do. And yet this God invites you in day after day. This is the privilege of prayer. And for anyone who's in Jesus Christ and who says, I just can't come to God. God doesn't want to hear from me. I say hogwash. That's not what the scriptures say. That's a lie of your heart. It's not the truth of the word of God that says you can come to him and he will hear you. 1 John 3 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. You are a child of God and there is nothing that you will do or you will say that will keep the Father in heaven from wanting to come to you. And so we have this relationship. I didn't say this in the first hour, but someone asked me, um, does God hear the prayers of people who are not followers of Christ? Does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? And let's be clear on something. When an unbeliever speaks to God, God hears and God knows everything. So he is not deaf to those who call out to him. But do not mistake an unbeliever calling out to God as the same thing as when you and I pray to God. Because we are his sons and daughters. We are loved by him. He hears and responds to us as a loving father. The same cannot be said when an unbeliever calls out to him. This is a right and this is a privilege. Just as I didn't get to go into the airline lounge, (laughs) so too the privilege of being able to know God as a father who cares for us. That's reserved for his sons and his daughters through Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing, is it not? It's a precious thing, church. I find that I get excited to pray. I want to pray when I truly understand the privilege of prayer, I'm moved towards communicating with God when I take a step back and I realize the blessing of the relationship that we have and what it means. Prayer is communicating with God. It's communicating with God as one with whom you have an intimate relationship. But knowing those two things sometimes isn't enough because we have to look at the last thing, and that is the content of prayer. We can know that we have an intimate relationship. We can know that we're able to talk to God and he hears and he wants to respond. But the question is, what do I talk to him about? Like, what can I communicate with God about? Well, remember, you have an intimate relationship with him, more intimate than any other relationship, so he knows everything about you already. So the answer to the question, what do we talk with God about? What do we communicate with God about? The answer is everything. There's nothing that's not on the table when it comes to you and I being able to engage with God through prayer. Everything is on the table. I love how Paul helps us to see this when he says at the start of the passage, he uses four different words, did you see that? To describe 
communicating with God. He said, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made. And so he's using these four different words. We'll look at this in more detail next week and, and why he does this. But he uses these four different words to communicate to us that prayer isn't just talking to God about one thing or in one way. But there is a multiplicity of ways in which we come to speak to God. And it's not just Paul that says it. When you do a survey of the scriptures, don't we see it, church? We see all these different ways in which prayer, communicating with God, is demonstrated. All these different ways in which people talk to God. We see, number one, people praising God. That one of the ways that we pray, one of the content of prayers is praise to God. When Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer how to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed what? Be your name. I'm praising you. The Psalms are filled with the psalmist just simply praising the Lord. Identifying the glories and the majesty of who he is. You can just be driving in the car and God is there and ready to listen. And you can say, Lord, I just look out and I see your creativity. I see your power. Lord, you are worthy of praise. When I look at how you've moved in these people's lives, how you've changed and transformed my own life, Lord, you are worthy of praise. I acknowledge you as being something wholly other than me. The Bible is filled with giving praise to God in prayer. That's maybe one of the most familiar ways in which people, when they think about prayer, they think about praising God. But let's be very clear that the other way that prayer is talked about, the, the content of prayer, is to make requests to God. The content of our prayer is often making requests to God. It's not just simply praising Him, but you are invited to ask God for things. That feels to some people, I know, inappropriate. If he's the God over everything, and if he's worthy of all praise, I shouldn't have to ask him for anything. I, I shouldn't even be allowed to ask him for, for anything. And God knows that some of us are prone to go there, so guess what he does? He litters his word with examples of people not just asking things from him, but also God tells us to ask things of him. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Asking God, making requests of God. In Luke 18, there's this parable that Jesus gives that says, if you are ever hesitant to ask God for something and to not know whether or not you should even be asking, God says, go ahead and ask anyway. It's the parable of the widow who comes to a judge and over and over again, she kept on asking the judge, give me justice against my adversaries. Give me this. Give me this. She kept on coming to the judge. And the guy got so tired of her that finally he just granted what she wanted. And the Lord said, hear what the righteous judge says. And will not God give justice to, the, to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find Will he find faith on earth? The persistent widow comes to a judge and Jesus says, your God cares more about you than this unrighteous judge. So come to him, ask of him, make requests of him. This past week, I knew I was preaching this text 
And I love that whenever I'm preaching on certain things, God really likes to talk with me and be like, hey, so uh, you're going to be sharing with people about this, but how are you? How are you and I doing? You're talking about communicating with God. That's what prayer is. How are we communicating this week? And I just found myself driving a couple of times and just as I was driving, just talking with him as I would as I would with someone that I have an intimate relationship. And there's this one thing that Hannah and I were looking to make a decision on and, and we just need some additional information. We're really struggling. And I just came to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I just don't know what to do about this. I'm really kind of clueless in this regard. Would you, would you make it clear? And I shared with Hannah that I've been praying that way. She's like, I've been praying that same, same way. And we were really like, just what do we do? Literally the next day, I mean, this was something that's kind of heavy on both of our hearts and, and, and not knowing if we had the right information. Literally the next day, all of a sudden, Hannah says, hey, did, did you see the email this morning? And I was like, no, what, what email? And, and in that email, Hannah then shares with me, it had some information, information that, that helped us in that moment with the decision that we had to make. And we just kind of looked at one another, and we just said, oh, isn't God just like that? You make the requests of him. Don't carry it, but, but give it to him. We can make these requests. He hears us. In that instance, he responded. By the way, it wasn't a complete full clarity on it, but he just helped us say, no, I want you to take this next step. We praise him. We make requests. And something we talked about during the summer is that we can lament to God. In prayers and communicating with him, we can expose ourselves emotionally to God with what's going on in our hearts. Psalm 13 is a great example of this. We talked about this before. Go back and listen to those messages on lament, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But lament is literally calling out to God in whatever emotional state you're in. If you're stressed, you're feeling anxiety, you're feeling worry, you cast your cares upon him. You're saying in your heart to God, Lord, I'm in, in a lot of pain right now. I'm suffering over these things. I, I see what's happening in the world, and it's hard for me. And so God says, Dave, Valley Center Community Church, whoever you are, bring those things before me. Don't carry those emotional burdens for yourselves, but communicate with me because I hear you. I care for you. And so we make those things known to God. The things that we can't even explain, the things that we don't have answers to, God says, talk to me about them. And we don't just lament to God. We come and we also confess sin to God. Lamenting to God is not sin. But when we do sin, we are able to come, as Psalm 51 shows us, 1 John 1, 8, 9 shows us, that we confess our sins to God. It's part of forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. We confess to God our sin. And we do that because we have this intimate relationship with him. And in confessing it to him, guess what? God doesn't pull back and say, oh my, you did, you did what this week? You, did, you said what to who? Okay, well, we're going to talk later. Does God do that with us? The beauty of us coming to confess our sin is not for God's sake, it's for ours. So that we can know that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. That when we do sin, he doesn't turn his back on us, but he brings us in close. And he says, you're forgiven because you have the righteousness of my son. And that leads to the final thing that we do in prayer. We thank God. Psalm 118 if our God hears us and he responds to our requests and he's worthy of all praise, one of the things that we do in prayer is we thank him. We come to God and we say, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you've forgiven my sin. Thank you. It's why we pray at a meal. 
and, and some people say, you know, is that just a habit to pray at a meal? No, I think praying at a meal is the right and good thing because every time you pray at a meal, you're saying, Lord, this is from your hand. This is your daily bread given to me through the means of my work and through my occupation, but Lord, you've provided this. It's coming at the end of a service like we did the first hour when the tent didn't collapse because of the earthquake. And we say, thank you, God, that we're still alive. We also stopped in the middle of the service and we also prayed and we made a request. We said, Lord, we pray that 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 earthquake didn't impact anyone and that you're merciful. Make requests. Come to him. Thank him. This is the content of prayer. Don't feel limited in what you can talk with God about. He knows it all already but he wants to hear from you. Prayer is a privilege. It's this great gift of God that comes to us. And so here's what we're hoping. We're hoping that one of the things that will always mark Valley Center Community Church is that we are a praying people. And that when we hear a passage like this, it moves our hearts back towards the significance of prayer in our lives individually and then as a church. And so one of the things that we're going to do this morning is rather than just simply hear a passage like this and say, okay, now we're moving on to other things, is we want to put into practice what Paul says is of first importance, that we would be a church that engages in prayer. And so we did something. Last year, we created a prayer guide at the start of the year. And some of you have been taking advantage of that and using that. We've updated that prayer guide, and here's what we want to do. Throughout the month of February, we're going to invite you to do something with other brothers and sisters in the church, and that is to pray. And to pray in some specific ways. We created this, this 28 days of prayer. Each and every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know how it goes. There's a different thing that we would invite you to be praying for. On Monday, praying for your church family. Tuesday, your church leaders. Wednesday, praying for your missionaries. Thursday, praying for our community. Friday, praying for your family members. Saturday, praying for our government officials. And on Sundays, praying for ourselves. How how awesome will it be? What a blessing it would be to know that during the month of February, when we come to a Monday, I know that you're praying for me and I'm praying for you because you're part of the church family. How when you see somebody on Thursday from our church that they're engaging in praying for our community. Church, let's not just be a church that are just simply hearers of the word, but we're called, as James says, to be what? doers of the word. Because we have this intimacy with the maker of heaven and earth, and he invites us to pray. So these prayer guides are at the back table. Maybe you picked it up as you came in. You know, you're an eager beaver. But as you go out, you can use these. And we're inviting you to pray. We'll be putting these out next week as well. Tomorrow you'll be getting an email that has this. You can print it off at home if you want. But would you join me in praying? Praying each and every day this week and the weeks to come in some very specific ways. I'm just passionate about what God will do in the life of our church when we collectively engage in that. But there's one more thing we're going to do. We've done this twice, at least, that I'm aware of in the almost 20 years that I've been here. It's not just simply that we're praying for the things in this prayer guide, but we're going to be praying for one another. And so in your bulletin this morning, there are these prayer cards that were in your bulletin. And here's what we want to invite you to do. We will invite you to take one of these cards. And what you're going to do is you're going to put your name on it 
If you have a prayer request, you can put a prayer request on it. Or you can just trust the person to pray for you when it says praying for the church family, that that's what they're going to pray for you. I left my card blank because I just said, hey, uh, pray everything on that list for me. That will be good, okay? That's what I would like. And then you can put on the very bottom of it, if you want, your contact information. If you want somebody just uh, to let them know that they're praying for you. I can remember the two people that I've done this for in the time that we're here. So what I want to invite you to do this morning is to take this card, fill it out. At the end of the service, I'm going to put this basket right in the back. And we'll, the way it goes is this. You take your card, you put your card in. Anybody want to guess what then you do? You take a card out. And then that's the person that during the month of February that we would invite you to be praying for. Because we're a church family. We're to pray for one another. A church our size, we're not a mega church, but we're big enough that many of you, if you just come to this service, you don't know all the people that came in the first hour. But this is one of the ways that we can be connected and be intentional in fulfilling what God says is of first importance for the people of God. I so look forward to how this will work in your life, in my life, over the days and the weeks to come.